Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bereson. Khadija Booth Watkins. We're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And today we're going to talk about young competitive athletes. You know, a few weeks ago, we all watched in shock as the 15-year-old Russian Olympic skater Kamila Velieva exited in tears after a doping scandal while her coach coldly asked her, why did you give up? It was really difficult to watch. And so today we're going to discuss whether and why we're pushing our kids too hard in, in, in athletics. At what point does it become detrimental to their mental health? And joining us for this discussion, we're delighted to introduce Dr. Mai Uchida. Dr. Uchida is a former competitive figure skater turned child psychiatrist. She's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and director of the Pediatric Depression Program and the Child Psychiatry Division at MGH. The, the mental health of athletes is clearly one of her passions. In addition to speaking up about Camila Balieva, she's also written about tennis player Naomi Osaka and gymnast Simone Biles. Mm -hmm. And she also interviews figure skater Marai Nagasu about mental health challenges. So you can see those links in our media list. She's a fantastic graphic artist, and in a previous life, she was a clothes designer. So to say that she is multi-talented would be an understatement. As the youngest Japanese doctor to ever work in America, she knows a little bit about carrying a lot of responsibilities at a very, at a very young age. Um, Maya, we want to thank you for joining us today, and we are excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, a topic that's um, um, close to my heart and, and really happy to talk about this important topic. Well, before we delve into today's conversation, uh, let's start with our own mental health check-in. Khadija, how have you been this week? I had a pretty good week. I got some sun and I uh, stayed healthy and I just enjoyed some of my friends that I haven't seen in a very long time. So it was a nice weekend and a nice um, recharge to, to reconnect with people that I, that I cherish and who that's been so hard, so hard to do over the past, I guess, almost two years now. Um, my, how was your, how was your week? Um, I actually had a really great weekend as well. Um, I have three young sons and a wonderful husband who's a cellist. And I got to take my older two uh, sons to my husband's concert in New York uh, this weekend. My husband, Jacques, uh, was um, the soloist playing the Beethoven Triple Concerto with a full orchestra. And um, it was so nice to be in a full orchestra concert with a full audience in person. Again, I haven't done this in, in more than two years. So, um, you know, no in-person real performances that I was attending to or he was playing in and we were able to like experience this as a family. So I'm kind of still riding on that feeling of joy. So yeah, great week. How about you, Jean? What's, uh, what's going on in your life and on your mind? Well, before I talk about that, so mm -hmm. did, you, did your, your kids were in the audience? They were, yeah. And, 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 and how did you keep them quiet when they were, daddy was up on the stage oh my goodness, playing the cello? I mean, yes. thank you for asking this because I am very proud of my husband for like playing that triple concerto, but I am so proud of myself for like containing my 
my kids who are very active throughout this classical music piece. Um, so my older one is about to turn seven and my, uh, my middle, middle son is, is five. And I wasn't sure if they were gonna, you know, say that they want to leave, if they're gonna like start singing along or what, <laughs> uh, but they sat and they listen and, and I, I also entertained them before and after the concert. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm doing this, patting my back um, as, a, as a mother. So this was more of a win for me than my husband, I think, who played an amazing concerto. You should write that, that up as like a, some, give us some direction as to how you did it. Maybe some <laughs> of the tricks that you use, because that does sound oh quite amazing. Yeah. It, would be a, it, would be, it would be a great blog. It would be like a great a blog. What, what, what theater was it? Uh, this I? was um, Morgan Hall and the Kaufman um, Center for the Arts, I think. It's uh, um, maybe uh, two blocks above um, Lincoln Center and in that whole sort of art uh, area, oh, performing arts area. Well, you should, you should, we could use a tip on how to contain your children during a uh, classical concert. It would be a unique blog. So for me, um, you know, uh, I'm at war again. I've got a woodchuck out there. Oh boy. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've set four traps. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a, a war gardening is very zen-like and it's very peaceful and it's very, but it's always a war with critters. But now the the, the worst is really having a, a, a woodchuck, aka groundhog. And this Wait, is about the same. A yeah, they're the same. They're the, they're the same. Yeah, uh, they're back really? every every year. And the, and and what what they do around this time of year is the females nest, and usually it's under the outhouse behind my house. Um, uh, and then in about a month, they have their babies. But then they have, then they eat voraciously and they'll just kind of level, they'll eat everything. So um, the idea is to catch them before they nest. So I'm out there with four, four traps, lots of cantaloupe, lots of stuff they love. But they're smart. They, they, you know, they're not going in. They're not, they're not taking the bait. So um, that's what's happening can we, here. Can we just go back? You have an outhouse. Well, the the back of my house, which is the waiting room to my office, is a three seater outhouse. This was in 1846. This was a very fancy, fancy house because you didn't. There was a cistern that collected water right behind where I'm wow. sitting, and you would go in there and you would kind of have your own water. And then you could walk through the door, which is right in front of me, and you could go to the outhouse, which is a three-seater, so it's like a family affair, mm -hmm. and do your thing without having to go outside. This was very, very fancy pants. Wow. Okay, so I, my great-grandmother had an outhouse, and we <laughs> I had to use it in South Carolina, but it didn't sound anything like this, so... This no, is this like, is a this is a this, this is, is like, an interior one. This is like right. that's my waiting room. It's actually I converted. I put a a top over the bench, uh, <laughs> and, uh, over over the uh, the the poop holes and and um, cushion. And I have can, an outside door. So on TV, can we say that on podcast poop holes? Uh, I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I mean, sounds really comfortable. Yeah, it's, it's, I would wait in that waiting room. 
Yeah, and 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 and, and you wait a day. No, no. I don't think they had. I don't think they had them in 1846. But but it was. uh, Well, maybe I will. But anyway, that's my waiting room. So, okay. So much about outhouses and (laughs) gardening and Mm -hmm. and 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 gophers. So gophers, woodchucks, and groundhogs are all the same, actually. Yeah, it's so educational, this podcast, learning so much. <laughs> so, so let, but let's get into athletics. Um, uh, so Mai, yes. what was it like growing up as a competitive athlete? Did you feel the kind of immense pressure that we saw on TV? Um, I definitely can relate to what she was experiencing, I think. Um, but... Uh, um, I have to say, I was a very low-level amateur figure skater in Japan. I fell all the time. I fell not only on jumps, but also spins and steps. So, you know, I was not anywhere near her level as a competitor. Uh, but I was um, a figure skater, and I continue to be a diehard fan of the sport. And I really have religiously followed the sport throughout my life. Um, I'm sure like you've seen fans of hockey or baseball that they're holding a drink and yelling at the referee saying like, come on, but that's like me in figure skating. Um, I'm the one who has to drink and saying like, oh my God, judge, did you even see the axle take off? Um, how do you justify that grade of execution? And I just love that sport. Um, so I've been following this sport for a very long time and um um, yeah, you know, while I was I, I I was skating at a very low level, as I mentioned, I do relate to Camilla, maybe because I know what it's like to have the responsibility on my shoulders from a young age. Uh, as Khadija mentioned, um, I uh, when I started my, my residency at Yale over a decade ago, I became the youngest Japanese medical school graduate ever to work in the U.S. as a practicing physician. So I was the youngest Japanese doctor in America, like ever. Um, And I'm familiar with how wonderful it is to have that that sort of, um, I guess, early launch into the world, but but I am also familiar with, with how difficult it can be to achieve early in life and the pressures of being expected to be more mature than your actual age. And I am indeed proud of how I rapidly grew to achieve the knowledge and the professionalism that was required for me to have as an effective doctor. But looking back, there were plenty of hardships and balls in the process. And and I think many times um, where, where I wish that I had more support, um, no, Camilla, I say this because Camilla Varieva, um, she is only 15 years old, 15 years old, and she is expected to handle this kind of a pressure and responsibility. Um, the major difference between my experience and Camilla's was that I got to experience my own success, failures, and growth in private while she had to go through this so publicly uh, with the world watching her practice, perform, after the performance, react to her judging. Um, And, you know, that kind of pressure is much more than just the pressure of competition. And she's doing that while she's only 15. So it's really important for all of us who love, support, and work with these young people to be aware and understand how young they are and and also just the reality of their mental health. So, again, I'm so happy that we're, we're discussing this today. Well, Sabine mentioned earlier in the intro that it was hard to watch 
her mm-hmm. and how she was talked to and, and how she was treated. And, and I know you and Camilla skated on a different level, but what was it like for you to watch her experience, what she did? What was going through your mind? Oh, oh my goodness. It was very difficult to watch. Um, I, I, I felt like I was like covered by a dark cloud that gave me this like sinking feeling uh, while she was skating. And, and particularly when um, I saw her crying after her performance, uh, along with that sort of dark and sinking feeling, I also was enraged. I was enraged that the adults surrounding her allowed this to happen. So the officials determined that she could still compete despite the positive doping test. Um, in part, the words that they used were to prevent irreparable harm to a minor. Um, You know, to prevent irreparable harm to a minor. These words seem so empty when, when, you know, after what we saw, what happened, you know, when this very system allowed this young girl to be doped, um, then compete while she tested positive um, and experienced what, you know, we have witnessed. I think most of us would believe, um, or, you know, I I think we would agree that uh, it's extremely unlikely that this 15-year-old girl intentionally sought out um, a heart medication that increases endurance of, you know, on her own. Like, how would she even, you know, get that information or ask for that? She, it was, again, very unlikely that she was responsible for that. And it must be the adults who were managing her that gave her these substances, um, you know, with or without her knowledge. Just this fact on her, I mean, just just this on its own, uh, it's been called out by multiple athletes and also the media as child abuse. And I too would use that word when a 15-year-old girl is given banned substances to like win a gold medal, like for what I say. Um, and I just couldn't shake that anger. Um, I, I don't know, like, you know, I, I felt towards the coaches, the team doctor, the federation, and the larger system, such as the, um, the International Skating Union and the International Olympic Committee, that really allowed this to happen. Um, in addition, I was really worried about Camilla, because children um, are are often claimed to, uh, sorry, um, children are often quick to blame themselves uh, to, you know, to feel that they're at fault for, for something that has happened, even when they had nothing to do with the decision-making. And I was worried that Camilla could be feeling the blame and the shame that somehow, um, you know, this was all her fault. Uh, you know, when, when clearly she was not the one to be blamed. And I wasn't sure if she was getting the appropriate psychological support when she was experiencing such trauma in front of the whole world. So all these thoughts were going through my mind when I watched Olympic figure skating. And, um, you know, while I know that the world has moved on to larger issues surrounding Russia, these thoughts are just still kind of stuck in my mind, this sort of dark sinking feeling along with that anger. Well, to your point, what creates for, for these athletes an environment that, that is so conducive to these kinds of situations and, and these settings that can be completely overwhelming um, and, and pretty demoralizing? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, well, a, a few things. One thing is that young athletes are often placed in very insular environments um, because they have to focus on their training. They, you know, also travel a lot for competing. They need time to practice. And, and, and for that, they are often placed in these sort of, you know, environment that is very insular. And because of this, I think they're often exposed to a very limited set of values. Um, in addition, the adults surrounding them, um, such as the coaches, the federation staff, they're uh, often people who have lived in the sport throughout their lives as well. And that is the reason why, you know, why they, they can, these adults can, um, give advice um, that are appropriate for these athletes in many ways, but at the same time, uh, it may also limit the perspective of what they can offer to the young athletes as well. Um, often the values that they share in the insular environment is centered around winning a competition, winning a gold medal at the Olympics or going to the Olympics. Uh, and, and, you know, when the values or goals are so narrow and short-term as winning a specific competition, it does create a slippery slope um, to maybe not attend to the, the physical or mental needs that will affect their lives much more long-term. Um, another element um, is that they're young. The athletes are so young. Camilla was only 15 years old, but even the older athletes, say like Naomi Osaka, the champion tennis player who discussed her mental health last year, she's only in her, her early 20s. And, and so is Simone Biles, the goat of gymnastics. And um, you know the fact that they're young and they're only exposed to certain limited set of values, um, that really puts them at risk for, for, for not being able to appreciate the other elements of life and um, other elements of, of other forms of success uh, that they could aim for. Also developmentally, young brains are still in development. Um, you know, uh, the human brain development doesn't quite complete their development until, um, you know, our our, our late 20s and you know what does complete the development even mean but you know anyhow the the young brains are still in development and um yet these athletes are are, are put into a situation where they have very adult pressures and responsibilities that they're held account, uh, accountable on, on many different levels. Um, like for example, elite athletes often have um, many sponsors and they're responsible for carrying the brand's image or name. They also receive financial and non-financial support from the federations and they have to consider their intentions. They also have to to, to kind of present themselves so that they could continue to receive the support from the Federation. Um, trainers, coaches, and many other adults that are surrounding them at a sort of a daily, daily, daily managerial role, um, I guess Asians as well, um, you know, these adults are placing their reputation on um, the athletes' results and also profiting from the athletes' results. So, you know, while many people do give genuine advice and they do genuinely want the players or athletes to do well, there also are those adults who intervene to profit their own interests um, rather than the athletes and, uh, and possibly not prioritize the athletes' happiness, health, or success. 
Um, so, you know, that's, you know, we're talking about a healthy environment, even in a healthy environment, as you can imagine, the complexity of, of, of these relationships that the athletes need to go through as children and young adults, um, this is a lot. But it's worthwhile noting that in an unhealthy environment, when these insular limited perspective environment where the adults hold power and stake, when that becomes an unhealthy environment, that type of, of an insular environment um, really could be a place where abuse could happen very easily. And I think that was kind of the environment that Camila Barrieva was um, was placed in, where their, their coaches and federation had so much power over her while she was a child and, um, and in an insular environment. And, you know, she was exposed to the limited values of needing to win the gold medal and to achieve that goal, she was kind of forced to dope, which I call abuse. So all these factors all contribute to the athlete's well-being. And, and it's, you know, it's it really is heartbreaking to see some of the bad results of this. Well, to follow up on that, um, uh, can you tell us the impact of what we can call cognitive distortion or distorted yeah. thinking, um, mm -hmm. which is an exaggerated kind of life and death. So winning or losing becomes a life and death matter. Yes. So that's, that seems to be a, a powerful force. Um, and, and, and as a secondary question, can these athletes who are thinking this way have social relationships, have friendships in, in, in ha and, and expand in other ways, or are they totally narrowly focused on that, on winning or losing uh, in that, you know, in, in, in the world that they're living in? Yeah, it's a really important thing to think about. Um, you know, I interviewed Mirai Nagasu, who is the, um, the, um, the formal U.S. champion Olympic bronze medalist and uh, um, also the first uh, American woman to have landed the triple axel at the Olympics. So she's, she's like, she's my girl, she's my hero. Um, but she was mentioning that, uh, you know, she really genuinely felt that it was the end of the world when she didn't make it to the Olympics in uh, 2014, even though she went to two other Olympics. And, uh, and that's when she experienced um, um, an actual depressive episode. And uh, also, um, she mentioned that while she had no intention to hurt herself or or, or, or end her life, she really didn't see the meaning of life. And, and she mentioned that she felt, um, she felt like it was, it was not sustainable for her to live with that kind of sadness in her. And, um, and that's when she actually seeked for help and she started taking antidepressants, which was probably one of the best decisions that she or any athlete could make in that situation. So I'm so proud of her for, for making that decision and also being open about her experience. But, you know, like in her example, um, when there's, when there's, you know, there's exposure to only one field or field or sport and, and, and one goal, it's really difficult for anyone to expand their perspectives in, in regards to their goals or values. And, um, you know, when they are, 
exposed to only that perspective um, and the gold that is presented in their small bubble, um, such as the gold medal, which I, I know it is a big deal, but you know, it, 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 such as that gold medal, it's um it it seemed like um for Mirai, um it 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 felt like that was the only way that that the world would define her worth and um and that was the only way that she could be happy. Like uh um yeah, again, you know, if if there's only one way to be happy and that is to go to the Olympics and win a medal failure can feel much more catastrophic than 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 it has to feel and you know to the second question that you mentioned um while it may be difficult with the constraints of time um and you know other things that you have to do creating opportunities to be involved in and feels outside of the sport would really help athletes gain perspectives on how they can learn to be happy outside of the competition and maybe better handle adversity. Um, exploring who they are is a big part of teenage development um, or young adult development and, and knowing and appreciating different aspects of yourself is so important. If something doesn't go the way that we want it or as expected, there can be an appreciation for other dimensions of your life or your achievements or or yourself and and you know that served to define the whole person that you are and I think that could avoid the feeling of the entire world kind of crashing on them when they they face these adversities and um um yeah you know if if I can just say like one thing to the developing athletes, I absolutely will recommend them having interests, hobbies, and friends outside of the sport, no matter how hard it is to, to expand that world. So we just did a podcast and we, we focused on self-esteem and how important mm-hmm. it is. Um, where does self-esteem come into play with as athletes? It's hard to imagine yeah. a person competing on such a grand stage would have issues with self-esteem, but but I imagine they do. And so how do you see this in athletes? Yeah, I think it has like everything to do with self-esteem and how you define your your self-worth and 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 what kind of success you define as successes. Um, I think that it's true that Olympic medal is super meaningful and it's absolutely okay and, and not only okay, but natural for, for athletes to wish for that version of success and feel the self-esteem and worth through that medal. Um, that's again, natural and it's absolutely okay. That being said, um, uh, you know, uh, defining success and self-worth based on only that or only on ice or only competition results puts the athletes at risk for developing poor self-esteem, low self-worth, and, and, and a whole host of other poor mental health outcomes. And again, in that insular world that you could be in as an athlete, it's hard to know where you stand in, in the entire world as well. I think just being a U.S. national champion is like so worthy and and other to, to other people, but for Mirai, that was not you know that what that did not define her self worth at that moment. I'm sure she was proud of it, but 
unless she could go to the Olympics again and and do well in the Olympics, um, you know, she couldn't feel entirely happy or happy about what she has done. Even when she went to the Olympics in 2018 um, for her second Olympics, uh, she became the first American woman to land the triple axle, um, which I think is an amazing historical accomplishment. Yet that was in the team event and she couldn't repeat that in her individual event. So when she came back, she mentioned that she felt empty and she felt exhausted and she didn't really look back and see that Olympic experience as a success when to me as a spectator or fan, it was like a huge success. So even at that highest level of athletics, like at the Olympics, these are what the, the, the Olympians are experiencing. And, um, you know, think about the, all the people who never become a U.S. champion or never even make it to the U.S. nationals. What kind of worth do they tie their, you know, self-worth and, and success to. Um, it's, it's, you know, again, it's, it, it we cannot just um, tie in the, the self-worth and, and, uh, and success based on the results there. Um, and there may be an illusion that one must choose like one or the other, valuing results versus valuing the process, but actually they're not mutually exclusive. It is indeed possible and also recommended that athletes work towards their desired results um, while also celebrating the process of personal exploration, growth, and self-respect. Another U.S. national champion, um, figure skater, and a bronze medalist at the Olympic team event, Gracie Gold. Um, I had the pleasure of, um, of interviewing her as well. But Gracie um, has spoken up about her struggles with mental health um, in regards to depression and eating disorders and anxiety. And, um, and she has um, received treatment, and now she's recently she spoke about um, how she talks to herself in terms of defining success. She asks herself, did I perform well? Did I enjoy the experience? Did I show growth as an artist? Did I make people at home feel something when I skated? Did I emerge from this competition healthy? Um, I particularly like that last question, but asking questions like this, um, you know, this it highlights the depth and complexity um, that accompany any experience and, and allows um, one to appreciate the multidimensionality of their experience, um, as well as the multidimensionality of themselves. So these are the things that I'm hoping that we could promote as child psychiatrists. So uh, let me follow that up and switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, we often talk about... Um, the role of caring adults yes. when it comes to mental health of young people. I mean, as mm -hmm. parents, as teachers, as coaches, as um, psychiatrists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, but, but for these athletes, their relationships to their coaches is absolutely unique and critical. Yes. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about, um, about the coach young athlete relationship? Because I think it's so important, you know, mm -hmm. um, to, to this conversation. Oh, so much so. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, it relates to, say, like, a, you know, a musician and their, their teacher or, um, um, yeah, mentor, mentee. It's, um, 
uh, it's it's so important that relationship but particularly for these young athletes again i do come back to the fact that these are children who are being coached um these are children who um, need to listen to the coaches and federation need to kind of, you know, please them so that they're even given the chance to compete in, in major competitions. And, um, and, and, uh, and they, they all do look up to the coaches. It's a little bit different from say, like, you know, Jean, you were an amazing supervisor to me as, um, as a child psychiatry fellow that I was, and I absolutely looked up to you and I did try to please you. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, I, I think, um, every, every fellow or resident, we seek advice from the people that, we trust and um, and then take the advice that we could use that we think that are appropriate and then maybe seek advice on other elements of, of their clinical practice or their research from maybe other mentors. And we can pick and choose what fits for, for you. Um, and um, I think that's what adult um, relationship looks like when it's a mentee-mentor relationship. But in children, it's not that flexible. It's not that that um, it's not that controlled because the children don't have that autonomy and also not really given that autonomy either. So the coaches, they do have tremendously strong influences on children and young athletes. And most athletes seek um, for the coaches approval. Um, and um, you know, many coach athlete relationships have that very tight bond that could be tender, could be encouraging, could be nurturing. But then when it's an unhealthy relationship, unfortunately, it could have abusive elements, like in, in Camilla's case, um, because the coaches hold so much power over the athletes in their insular relationship. Um, so um, yes, to answer your, your question, yes, the coaches have so much uh, power and, and that relationship is unique, could be amazing, could be terrible. So yeah. That that that's um something that I feel like I did not learn until much later in life that there are different mentors for different things. And I guess yes. when you're an athlete, you have typically one, maybe two coaches, but the, mm -hmm. the focus and what they're there to offer you is probably similar. Um right. but that is so important um to, to think mm -hmm. about it that way. So, so how can we promote a healthier focus on, on athletics as a whole and, and, and make it a healthier experience for these young athletes who are so vulnerable, as you have mentioned, for, mm -hmm. for the various reasons, yeah. um, so that we can promote strong, healthy growth and development physically and, and mentally? Yeah, so important. Um, well, in Camilla's case, uh, the adults completely failed to protect the athlete's mental health and, and physical health as well. And unfortunately, we've seen other examples of this in the past few years. I think you um, remember the sexual abuse scandal in the U.S. gymnastic team. Um, you know, the, the U.S. gymnastics uh, have been, uh, the, that institution has been required to undergo major restructuring of personnel and priorities because of you know, a group of, of, of brave young women and girls spoke up about their team USA doctor, Dr. Larry Nasser, um, had been 
sexually molesting hundreds of young female gymnasts for years that has been in, enabled by the, the organization. Um, and you know how these survivors, survivors of uh, sexual abuse stood up for themselves is, is really amazing. And, um, and it really has um, given a positive impact on young women and girls um, across the country, across the world, uh, generation to come. But the positive impact on the society does not take away the longstanding emotional impact of trauma that these victims themselves um, had to grapple with and are likely continuing to grapple with. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it really breaks my heart that not only they were abused by their team doctor, but there were so many um, kids, the, the gymnasts who reported this to the U.S. gymnastic team, and um, and yet nothing happened after that until it really became a scandal and a legal matter. And, you know, that the, these girls, again, girls who are young teenagers, um, some, some of them actually even younger than teenagers, them asking for help um, to the adults who are supposed to protect them and not being um, helped by them, that just creates this sense of helplessness that is really hard to overcome in life. So it, it just really breaks my heart um, to learn how these adults failed these young women. Um, and, and these sort of versions of these stories are, are, are just happening over and over again. You know, we talked about not defining successes um, with only your results and, you know, needing ex to expand the perspectives of for the athletes. Um, we talked about that for the athletes, but I think the people who actually need to do this even more than the athletes are the adults, um, including the coaches and maybe parents um, uh, who, who are, again, managing these young athletes. The adults in the sport should you know, expand their relationships and interests by having a life outside of the sport and also ask the open-ended questions that uh, Gracie Gold was, was you know, presenting to us about their own experiences. And, you know, uh, like, did I enjoy the experience? Did I show growth as a human? Human? Did I make people at home, like my family and the people who I care, feel something good or feel something when I did this or that? You know, and did I emerge from this experience healthy? The adults should be asking um, themselves of these questions, and and um, and I think once the adults starting asking these questions themselves, they probably would be able to ask these questions to the athletes and, and share these answers um, or share their answers together and become a conversation. So that's what I'm hoping that would, would happen from here. So let me switch gears a little bit. Uh, not all athletes are at the level of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, so my daughter uh, played field hockey for UMass, Division One. Um, and, you know, they had a very rigorous schedule. They were up at 6 a.m. and they worked out and then they went to class and then they had another workout and wow. their grades were monitored because they all had to get above C's. But it was a different experience than being an Olympic athlete. And, and, the, and, the, and the garden variety athletes in, in our country, in high school and in college, don't have the same pressures that you're talking about with Olympic athletes. Yeah. 
Yes. So let's broaden this conversation and let's talk about like my daughter and, and what mm-hmm. she and her teammates went through, um, both in high school and in college. So what, what would you suggest that we can do to help um, our kids and mm-hmm. uh, from middle school through college uh, be competitive, have high standards, work hard, play as a team, but yet have fun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, did your daughter have fun through, throughout this experience? You bet. She, okay. you know, she, she, well, first of all, first of all, she was not, well, she'll probably listen to this. <laughs> she, she was not, she didn't care very much about academics. Now she's okay. an attorney, she's an attorney now. So she's kind of like, you know, kind of did, did the work, but there was mm-hmm. nothing better for her mm-hmm. in my estimation than being on her high school and college field hockey team, because yeah. it taught discipline, it taught inclusion, it taught um, working hard and um, social emotional learning. Yeah. Did she make lifelong friends, you know, throughout that experience? You bet. You bet. Great. (laughs) Well, you know, it it seems like she was successful in having fun and also achieving to well, uh, you know, I guess aiming to win as well, and you know she kind of embodies the surprising fact that actually aiming to win and also appreciating the process can actually coexist. It may be surprising, but but it it actually does. And you know, again, it's okay and it's natural to want to win and want to get results. Um, but it also is okay to say that the sport is meaningful to me because it's allowing me to grow and I appreciate my growth as well as the other dimensions of myself. Um, and, and, and I'm so glad that your daughter experienced that. I think um, a big difference um, between the, the high school and, and college level athletes uh, um, and, and the elite athletes who, I guess, um, you know, go to Olympics is the exposure to other values. Um, elite athletes are often, you know, either homeschool or uh, they take online classes while they travel to competitions and practices. Um, and, you know, while high school and college athletes have classes to attend and their grades could be monitored, they have to put in the work. Uh, so, you know, they have exposure to other things outside of, of sports and also other students or other friends who may not share the same amount of excitement for aiming for this one title, which is wonderful. Um, that variety is, is key. Um, also, high school and college athletes may have other goals in life that are unrelated to athletic achievements, such as becoming an attorney, like your 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 um, your daughter, or becoming a doctor, an architect, a school teacher, you know, whatever that it might be. They have goals outside of their athletics and life, and I think that that really is is key to keeping that balance and keeping um, the the um, yeah, keeping sanity. And while elite athletes rarely have the luxury of even thinking about life after retirement or working goals outside of their, their own sport. Um, but even so, um, uh, you know, even though there, there are differences between elite athletes and, 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 um, and you know, student athletes, 
it still is actually very easy to fall into that insular group and narrow mindset of the team, um, even in high school or college situations. So I think it really is important for school-based athletes to keep that in, in mind and keep that in check, uh, to make sure that they're doing this sport because they love it and stop to think whether their group's values and priorities are aligned with their own. Um, and if they're not, it's okay to enjoy the parts that you know, you like and, and maybe keep a distance from the distance from the parts that you don't like. You don't have to immerse yourself entirely to that athletic group or, or sports itself. It's okay to have other, other things that you value as well. You know, sports could be a a core part of, of one's identity and it doesn't have to be your own identity. So, you know, I, I, I say, you know, put what you can in the sport as much as you want to aim to win and then make lifelong friends and, and grow and, and, and also appreciate the growth that you're experiencing and explore what, you know, what else college could offer as well. So um, I think that's kind of the message that I have for the student athletes. And yeah, I hope that's, that's helpful. I think it's great. So this has really been a helpful conversation um, and to wrap up on a positive note, Khadija, uh, what's something you're looking forward to in the next week or so? Oh, man. What, what am I looking forward <laughs> to in the next week or so? That's a long, that was a long pause. You, you know, the, it's the, the time has been in this very short period of time. I feel like it's been going so, so fast. My nephew's having his birthday. Um, he's going to be turning two. Um, so I'm looking forward to celebrating his birthday and you know I'm very close with my siblings so and seeing my sister and her and I'm spending time with them but it just seemed like it came so fast and then after that is spring break so I'm looking forward to a little bit more of uh, downtime and family time how about you Maya what are you looking forward to me um well, um, as I mentioned, I have three sons and my youngest just turned one uh, and he is starting to walk a ton and he recently started using a fork to eat. So I'm like really excited to see what what comes next. Maybe, you know, by the end of the week, you might be you might be using a spoon. That would be amazing. So all these achievements that the babies can make, I'm absolutely um, looking forward to that. I am also, um, this won't be like, you know, over the, just the past couple of weeks, I mean, and the, the upcoming uh, couple of weeks, but, but um, I am also looking forward to expanding and continuing the mental health conversations and, and, um, and athletes, because you know what, like, it's actually, I, I have a lot of hope. Um, I want to say that I have a lot of hope because look at like the past year and the conversations around athletes' mental health that has started. Um, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, announced that she would not be taking interviews post-match to protect her own mental health, which, you know, got a little bit of, well, actually a lot of negative backlash in, in initially, but it lit a fire in the conversation of mental health and athletics, and it really um, contributed to the following 
conversations. Uh, Simone Biles, who we drew from, you know, the team event at the Olympics last summer, um, she cited mental health concerns and people praised her for her courage of prioritizing her mental health um, and well-being over another Olympic medal. Uh, Gracie Gold and Mirai Nagasu, the figure skaters that I had um, had the, the, the opportunity to, to discuss their mental health experiences, they discussed their own mental health experiences and 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 they're being open about it to 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 make other people you know outside of even athletics to feel okay about discussing these things um do you guys watch ted lasso at all do you know the show love ted lasso i love ted lasso gene ted lasso yes no no okay well i highly recommend it i'm a huge ted lasso fan so ted lasso um is a fictional american football coach turned soccer coach who works in england who is like has this sort of you endless optimism that is just so humorous but um in that show, um, Ted Lasso and uh, the teammates uh, discuss mental health and athletics, and and I thought that was groundbreaking. That that a, that a show centered on athletics is putting mental health at the core part of their story. Um, so, you know, we're on a great roll and we've got to keep the conversation rolling. And I am excited to to keep it going. I guess. So that's enough from me. But yeah, Gene, what are you excited about? Oh, catching that groundhog. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, um, I'm excited about um, the fact that it is spring. Uh, things are coming up. I, I'm an avid gardener. Um, and, you know, you never know. I, I was talking about how gardening is warlike. It is zen-like too. Um, but you know, there's something surprising. I, I'm I garden kind of English cottage style. So, what comes comes up where it comes up, um, and um, it's always a surprise. It's always a surprise to see what wildflowers are going to come up where, um, and um, I'm looking forward to a bumper crop of milkweed and attracting monarchs because. Um, as you know, they're having they're having a hard time. So I'm looking forward to um, some flowering plants, but that won't be for for a bit. Anyway, I want to thank everybody, and I hope that our conversation helps you have yours. I'm Gene Bresson. and I'm Khadija Watkins, and I'm Maya Cheetah. See you all next time. to jump around with the questions i know they have names next to them but sort of however the conversation flows whatever Jean, do not steal my questions do not steal Jean. she's very territorial about her questions so well, well I, 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 I practice you know, you know i have still have stage fright so even though there's no stage oh i won't steal them <laughs>